Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Pastor John Simchenko kicked us off last week as we start this series, and I'm very humbled that Pastor Keith allowed me to open up God's Word today. If you'd open up to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, if you're using the Bible app, we'll be looking at the New Living Translation. While you're doing that, I need to give just a personal comment on how grateful I am for something that maybe we might take for granted. This coming fall, we'll celebrate as a church our 20th anniversary, 20 years since Pastor Keith and Kay came and and planted Celebrate, absolutely. Do you know how rare it is? when people come and go and come and go and come and go, that our pastor has stayed the course for 20 years and is still with us. That is such a gift in a world that doesn't know that very often. And so be praying for him as he's on sabbatical these two months, that God would just really continue to fill him and speak to him, not only about his vision, but also the vision for us. But also what I think is an incredible gift is that when you look at the executive team, except for Pastor Tom and Jane, who we're so grateful that God brought you here, Do you realize that the entire leadership team has been apart together for over 15 years? In fact, most of them started exactly when the church started. Again, an incredible gift. And I say that to say this. We all collectively believe our best days are ahead of us. We believe what God's going to do in the next five years will dwarf what's happened in the last 20. That's what we believe. How many of you believe that as well? If that's the case, then we have an opportunity in August. We're going to have our At The Movie series. It'll blow your mind. If you've been to it, you understand But why we have this series is to reach lost people in a medium that they might not let the kind of the the zone down a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, hands down, and be open to what God can do in their life. So we want to see 1,000 guests during that series. So be thinking now, who can I start inviting, praying for, and let's see God do his work. Well, let's jump into it. You know, the Bible says that we're in a battle, and the battle is very real. It's a battle between good versus evil, between Light versus darkness, between the spirit versus the flesh, the Minnesota Twins versus the evil empire of the New York Yankees. It's a battle. The battle is very, very real. But there's good news. How many like good news? Like good news? Here's the good news. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've won. You've won the battle. You'll be in heaven. That's the good news. Now there's bad news. Here's the bad news. (laughs) This ain't heaven. It's not heaven yet. In fact, it's a generation that Paul refers to as a perverse and evil generation world. So here's the question. How are you and I to live as followers of Jesus in a world that is living the opposite? How do we do that? First Peter's going to tell us, and it's all wrapped up into a phrase that we'll use, and the phrase is this, we choose to be different. Say that with me. We choose to be different. Now, we don't like that phrase because, especially growing up as a kid, you don't want to be different. You want to fit in. You want to be accepted. In fact, we give up a lot of stuff to be accepted. Some people have given up values, character, integrity, purity, all to fit in. And the Bible says, "Uh uh-uh, we're never supposed to fit in, ever. In fact, the Bible says, don't ever try to conform to the world, but Romans says we're to be what? transformed. Don't conform, but be transformed. The best definition of success that I've heard is this. Study what the world's doing. Study what the average person's doing. Study everything about them and then do the exact opposite. 
That's a very true statement. In fact, we're called to be different than the world. So I want you to do this. I want you to turn to the person on both sides, and here's why I want you to say to them. I like you. You're really different. <laughs> now, Peter is going to teach us four ways that we are to choose to be different. It's all in 1 Peter 1. It's going to start in verse 13, and we're going to read it together. And it's going to follow the thought process that Jesus says of how we're to love God. If you remember, Jesus said we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Peter is going to talk how do we choose to be different in our mind, in what we exercise, in our heart, and in our soul. Okay, so I want us to read this together. You can follow along on your versions. This is the New Living Translation, or read it on the screen. Here we go. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. If you see your message notes, there's four things that Peter's going to teach us on what it means to choose to live differently. Who's ready to learn? Show me your hand. Ready to learn? Okay, let's go. Here's what Peter says. The very first thing, it's the very first two words. Think clearly. Say that with me. Think clearly. We live in a world where it's, we should be open-minded about things. You know, we really need to be open-minded about this. I mean, really open-minded. Uh, the problem is that we've become so open-minded that our brains have fallen out. <laughs> I mean, have you ever done this? Have you ever looked at somebody, seen what they were doing, and you wondered, what were they thinking? And what's the answer? They weren't. They weren't thinking. 100 years ago, there was a young author by the name of Napoleon Hill. He met a man who at that point was one of the richest men in the world, one of the richest men in the United States, by the name of Andrew Carnegie. He found out he was an author, and he says, I would like you to write a book, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a book on what causes success. Why is it that people, different cultures, different ages, different family backgrounds, rise to success when others don't? What are the common denominators? And here's what I'll do. I'm not going to pay you a dime for anything. But what I'll give you is access to all the most successful people that I can get you around for you to interview. I'll give you access to them for you to study and then for you to write your book. Napoleon Hill said yes, and he did. For 20 years, on his own dime, he met with all these people who were ultra successful in all areas and then wrote a book that came out just over 80 years ago. In the last 80 years, has sold over 100 million copies. The book title has four words to it. The first one's the key. What makes people successful? Think and grow rich. The name of the book. Not just financially, but in all areas of life. If you want to be rich in all areas of life, the key is to do what? Think. That is something that we don't do very much at all today. In fact, to be honest, most people, and I would even say most Christians, their minds are very idle. They don't think. We have become a society that is engorged ourselves with entertainment. We don't want to think. We want to be entertained constantly. These are the latest statistics. I looked them up this week to make sure I was, had the latest ones. Right now, 
the average American spends 34 hours a week watching television, Netflix, anything video formatted. They spend an extra 15 hours a week on social media of some form. That means the average American spends 49 hours a week being entertained through those two mediums. Now, what's that perspective? That means if you sat on your couch watching television or social media 24 hours a day, you would do it 106 days in a row. That's how much we love entertainment. See, this country was founded on the Bible and by people who believed in Jesus Christ. And yet today as a society, we're biblically illiterate. Most people have no concept of what's in the Bible. They don't read it. They don't understand it. We're mentally incompetent. We've been barraged emotionally. In fact, the thought is, if it feels good, it must be right. The Bible says no. Absolutely false. Engage your brain. Think clearly. Here's how it says in 1 Peter 1.14. We just read it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which was yours, in your ignorance. There are two things that, that happened to me some years back that really changed my aspect of how to think clearly. Separate events, but happened kind of within a span of about six weeks of each other. One, I was at a conference. Cindy and I were at a conference together, and the speaker was talking. He made a statement to men. He said, man, I'm going to give you a challenge. Too many of you watch too much television. He says, I'm going to challenge you to turn the TV off for a week. And out of this ear, I saw Cindy go, <laughs> you ever seen somebody, a spouse, just, you just to see him out of this ear, you see him do it? He went on talking. I remember looking at Cindy and went, what? She didn't say a word. She's just going. I said, what? She's just going. I said, you don't think I can do it. She learns me and says, it would kill you. <laughs> of course, being a rational man who's thinking clearly, I said, I'll turn it off for a month. <laughs> it's playoff time. Why did I say that? Well, I said it. So I went home, unplugged the TV. I'll tell you, in the next week, there was at least half a dozen times I'm standing with a remote going, what's wrong with this thing? How? I had no idea how much TV I was watching. I want to give you a tip on what it means to think clearly, and I'll tie the two together. Here's my tip if you want to learn how to think clearly. Take a fast, take a diet from TV and social media and learn to feed on books. Learn to read books. That's my tip for you on that area. Let me tell you the second thing that happened. Again, I was with someone who's a mentor of mine. We're asking, he's asking a question. He says, Reed, how many books do you read in the course of a year? Well, the average American reads one book a year. That's what the average American reads, one book a year. I said, well, I, I'm, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm, I'm trying to get better at that. I'm probably reading about maybe six to eight books a year, about one every couple months. He goes, that's good. That's good. The average reads one. That's good. He says, Reed, how many books does your wife read? And I said, well, she's, she's a great reader. She is. She's, she's a voracious reader. And he said, well, like how many? I said, oh, I bet you probably at least one every two weeks, probably at least. So, okay. He said, well, so what you're telling me is that Cindy reads about 24 books a year. Or so, okay, you read about six books a year. He said, Reed, it's really hard to lead someone who knows a lot more than you do. Got it. And on that day, I decided to become a book reader. 
You don't have to like to read books, but if you're going to think clearly, you need to shut some stuff off and turn some stuff on. You have to decrease and feed other things. Right now, I just finished this last week, my 20th book for the year. My goal is 50 books this year. Now, I'm not saying that for anything me. I want, to, if I'm going to lead my home, if I'm going to lead my children, if I'm going to lead people, I need to learn how to think clearly. So Peter says we're to think what? Think clearly, first step, if we're going to be different. Here's the second thing he says. We're to exercise, but exercise something key, exercise self-control. Say that with me. Exercise self-control. We know that physical exercise is good. You should physically exercise. Absolutely, you should. But there's something more important to exercise, and that is self-control. How many of you have ever seen a two-, three-, or four-year-old that's out of control? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm there. It's just out of control. And you've said, man, I'm so glad I didn't do that to my parents. I'm just so glad I wasn't like that. Should I tell you my nickname? My grandfather's nickname for me was Screamer John. That was his nickname for me. You know, all kids are that way. All little kids are that way. Why? Because they're immature. When you're immature, you lack self-control. As you become mature, you gain self-control. Self-control is a choice. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9 says this. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. It's interesting that the Bible gives three analogies. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll see three analogies in the New Testament. They'll analogize you to a soldier, a farmer, an athlete. What do all three have in common? Self-control. In fact, you and I have seen athletes that are great athletes that have no self-control that are gone. We've seen it in any area of life. If you're going to succeed in every area, you have to have self-control. In fact, we as a society, we love a word. It's called freedom. Man, I want to be free. I want to be free financially. I want to be free from a job. I want to be free to do whatever I want. I want to be free, free, free. If you want freedom in any area of your life, there's another word that is a synonym word. The two go together. Self-control. Discipline. Example. If I want to be free to have a great marriage, I have to be totally self-controlled in what I look at, what I think about, what I say, what I do. Make sense? If I want to be totally free financially, guess what I have to be? What I have to be? What I have to be? Self-controlled. I have to be self-controlled. I just can't spend when I want to spend. I have to budget myself. I have to do those things. I have to be self-controlled. If I want to be free physically, have great physical health, what do I have to be? What do I have to be? Absolutely. I have to be self-controlled in what I eat and what I don't eat. Exercise. If I want to be free in my mind and have a clean mind, guess what I have to be? Self-control. The two go together. Titus 2 says it this way. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil, evil world with what? Self-control. Right conduct and devotion to God. People sometimes come to me and say, Reed, would you pray for me? I'm being really tempted in this area. And would you pray that God kind of takes that tension away? I says, okay, I'll do that if you pray for me that God takes care of my yard, keeps it weed-free and mowed while I stay inside. <laughs> of course I'm not going to pray that. Why? Because God gave you the ability to make that choice yourself. So if I want to be free in my mind and something on the Internet says, click here, and it's a picture of a male or female, I'm self-controlled and say, no, I will not do that. I turn the computer off, I get covenant eyes on it, and I protect myself 
from it. Let me give you a tip on how to stay self-controlled. If there's an area of your life that you want to have more control over, here's the tip. Tell somebody. Tell somebody, this is an area of my life. I want to gain more self-control, and would you hold me accountable to it? Can I say that's why you should have a life group? One of the reasons you should have a life group is because you tell the people in your life group, here's an area that I want to grow in. Would you hold me accountable? They will. We don't like that, though. It's kind of like the, the person who came up after church and told the pastor, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to quit smoking. He says, hey, come on up here. I'm going to tell the congregation. He says, no, no, don't tell them. I'd have to do it then. <laughs> no. So we're to be different. We're to choose to be different. We're to think what? Think what? We're to exercise what? Here's the third one. It's our heart. We are to fix your hope. Say that with me. Fix your hope. Here's how it said in 1 Peter 13, 1 13, look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. I love Hebrews 12 too. It says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's a story about a man who was riding a horse and was galloping quickly and it appears he's going somewhere really important. A man sitting on the road says, where are you going? The man on the horse says, I don't know, ask the horse. That's how a lot of people live their lives. They have no idea where they're going. If you ask them, how are you doing? Busy, 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 holy cow, but have no idea where they're going. Alice in Wonderland, if you remember the story, Sheshire the Cat says, Alice, listen, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. If you and I went to the airlines, we wanted to take a trip, and went to the counter and says, I want a ticket, I want to fly somewhere, what's the first question they're going to ask us? Where? 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 If you said, ah, it doesn't matter, just anywhere. Are they going to give you a ticket? No. no. They will never give you a ticket until you tell them specifically where it is you want to go. That's what has to happen. Brian Tracy, who's an author, says this. Successful people have very clear goals. They know who they are, and they know what they want, and they write it down. People who struggle have goals in their head, but nowhere else. If I asked you, describe to me where you want to be in five years. Where do you want to be in your life, mentally, spiritually, morally, relationally? Could be financially, professionally. Where do you want to be? Could you tell me? Would you have it written down? Because can I give you a quick understanding? If you don't know where and if you don't have it written down, you will never be anywhere different five years from now than you are right now. Where are is where you'll be five years. And how fast does five years go by? And nothing changes. Body parts shift, but nothing changes. That's what happens. Something happened number of years back that really challenged me in this area. The speaker was talking, he was talking to men, and he said, listen, he says, I challenge you to write a list of 100 goals and dreams down in your life, your, your bucket list, if you've seen the movie, of things you want to do, go, see, have, become, experience, help in your life. What is it that you would say, God, if you would, this is my imagination. These are the things that are in my heart. Now, God can change those, and God can add and subtract, but at least it puts it down. If you've never done it, let me challenge you. It will change your life. When you start to fix your hope on what is it that my future, what would I love to see my future be like? God, could you ever, would this ever be an option, God? Put it down. The first 10, like this. The first 20, from that point on, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. It was hard. It was hard. But I got 100. Then he said this. Read it every morning and every night and say, pray, God, this is you. I'm going to fix my hope. 
I'm going to fix my hope in you, but these are my heart's desires. These are my, my goals, my dreams. And you can change them. You can change them anytime you want. But God, I want to do something for you. Well, I did. It's interesting. I look back on it just recently. Of the first 100, I checked off 92. Now, that's not about me. It's about the fact that that's how God works. People say, God, would you bless me? And God says, which blessing do you want? I got 2,000 of them. Well, just bless me anyway. I can't do it. What do you want? You fix your hope and let God work. There's a story that's told of a man who was flying on a long-haul flight. And the pilot comes online and says, hey, we've asked the attendants to take their seats. And if you would buckle in because we expect some turbulence ahead. And man, that was an understatement. You ever been on that ride? Where man, it's not just a roller coaster. It's a, uh, 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 it's, I mean, it's all over. And people were gasping. There were some were screaming that. But he noticed something. He noticed just a couple seats ahead of him, there was a little girl sitting that was just like unfazed by it. She was reading a book. No matter what happened, no really emotion. She'd maybe close her eyes every now and then. But she just stayed super calm. Well, the plane made it, got down safe, and he went up to the little girl and said, sweetheart, he said, I've got to tell you, you were so brave. Man, weren't you scared at all? She goes, no. He says, how come? She says, my daddy's the pilot. He's taking me home. See, when you and I fix our hope, and we say, God, here's the goals of my heart. We fix our hope on Jesus. I put it on you, God, but here's where I want. Then in all the turbulence of life, we're on phase. Why? God's our pilot. He's taking us home Amen. in that. So we choose to live differently. We think what? Clearly. How do we think? Clearly. We fix, I mean, sorry, we exercise what? And then we fix what? We fix our hope. Here's the fourth one. And here's where the rubber meets the road says, we are to be holy. Say that with me. Be holy. 1 Peter 1.15 said, be like the holy one who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Holiness is a scary word. We, we, we think that it's 110% it's pure, never, never doing anything wrong, breathing wrong, sitting wrong, anything. No. It's a way of thinking about things. Let me give you three different thought processes on holiness. Here's the first one. Holiness does not necessarily mean doing anything different, but rather learning to do it in a new way with God, God's way. Let me give you an example. Most people think that the beginning of the day starts either when you wake up, when the alarm clock goes off, when Starbucks open, or I call it five bucks, opens, okay? <laughs> Something like that. That's when the day starts. Do you know that that's not what the Bible says at all? The Bible is very clear. In Genesis 1, it says there was evening, morning, day one. Evening, morning, day two. Evening, morning, day three. Sabbath. The Sabbath day started in the evening. How God looks at the day, God's day starts in the evening. The evening is the start of the day for God. Why is that important? Because here's the reality. How you go to bed is how you wake up. You go to bed angry in your heart, you're waking up angry in your heart. You go to bed stressed, you wake up stressed. You go to bed with peace in your heart, you wake up with a peace in your heart. So let me give you some tips in thinking differently about God's day, start of a day. How do you start your day in the evening differently? Here's some thoughts and tips for you. Avoid some things. Avoid caffeine, food, or exercise right before bed. Avoid it. Man, you've, sometimes you, and man, I just had too much caffeine. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. 
Or you, you ever eaten a whole bunch before you went to bed and then all night, oh, oh. I mean, you just have dreams about pork chops attacking you and all this kind of stuff. I mean, avoid that. But here's the second thing we kind of mentioned earlier. Don't watch television late into the night. Don't. Don't let television be the last thing in your head. Here's why. What's ever in your head last is there all night. You watch a hemorrhoid commercial right before you go to bed, <laughs> you'll wake up a butthead. I mean, you, you're, that's the way it is. All night. Here's another tip. Before you go to sleep, resolve as much as you can any household conflict. Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, don't go to sleep while angry. Because how you end is how you wake up. I talked to a guy and he says, my wife and I, we never go to sleep when we're angry. We've never done it. He says, now there's been three days in a row we didn't sleep, but we've never gone to sleep angry. It's important. Cindy and I have a, a regimen of how we start our evening or end our evening to start our day. And it is getting our heart right, our head right, and make sure everything's right between us and God. Because how we go that way is how we start the next day. So with that in mind, then what happens when in the morning we wake up? You know, there's two kinds of people. There's the people who love morning, and then there's the people who hate people who love the morning. <laughs> and they usually marry each other. <laughs> That's what happens. So since God starts in the evening, his day starts in the evening, we talk about that, then what are some tips on how do you handle it when you now wake up? Because the day's already going. God's inviting you into his day. Here's a couple tips. When you wake up, acknowledge God's invitation into the day. God's already started the day. Marv Odegaard, I love your thought process and how you always say it. When you get up in the morning, you say, here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. That's a great statement. It's a great statement. And it's a correct one because God's already been going. We're now invited. He's invited us to join him in his day. God, I'm reporting for duty. Here's another one. Focus on the things you have to be thankful for. In one of the books I was reading this week, author who's very successful says he starts his morning off before he gets out of bed thinking of two or three things that he's super thankful for that day and just meditates on those as part of his day. One of the things that I try to do, I exercise a lot, but I try to do about once a week a thankful walk, just a thankful walk for about 30, maybe 45 minutes where I think of everything I can think of to be thankful, even the minus parts of my body. When's the last time you thank God for your fingernails, your knuckles, your thumbs, your ability to smell, your ability to hear, every part of your body. Because there's some people who don't have it. Learn to be thankful. And then the last thing is simply surrender your day and say, God, whatever I have, it's yours, and I don't have any fear about it. Here's what the psalmist wrote. In the morning, I lay my requests before you, and I wait in expectation. Here's the second short thing about holiness. It's a thought process. Holiness is a choice of your attitude, not your circumstances. We always pray about our circumstances. <laughs> no, it's our attitude about our circumstances are the key. I love the book of Acts, Acts 16, where Paul and Silas, they've been beaten, they're thrown in prison, they're chained, and it's midnight, and what are they doing? They're singing. That doesn't make any sense. What should we be doing? We should be complaining. We should be a victim. That's what we should be doing. No, they are thinking clearly. They're exercising self-control. They have fixed their hope, and now they're what? Being what? They're being holy. It says they're singing. And what God do? God causes a miracle. And because someone sees that difference, a jailer sees the difference, the jailer comes to accept Jesus and say, what is it about you? 
I want what you have. See, when you're holy, people will say that. Here's a third thought about holiness. Holiness is not something we live for, but rather something we live out. It's how we do it in our, in our life. Because it's not about us, friends. It's not about us at all. It's about God and letting others see God through us. Here's how it says it in 1 Peter 1, just a few verses later in verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. See, friends, when we think clearly, when we exercise what? Self-control. We fix our hope and we be what? Holy. When we do those things, we're living totally different than the world lives. Totally different. And the world will see it. As they pass us, they will see us. And here's two things, just in closing, that they'll see us, see in us. Number one, they'll see obedience. They'll see obedience. Or at least they said, should see it. It's the next verse. In 1 Peter 1, he says this, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. If we'd be able to be a people that just, well, because you said so. Just because you said so, I'll do it. God says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, yet we do. He says, keep the Sabbath day holy, we don't. He says, tithe, we don't. He says, keep sexual conduct inside of a marriage, we don't. If we would obey God, Man, the world would see a difference. The second thing the world would see, they would see love. 1 Peter 1.22, the last part, it says, love each other deeply with all your heart. There's no greater test than love. In fact, Jesus said this, others will know that you're my followers by the love you have for one another. We choose to live differently. See, in a world that is going this way, the Bible says, no, no, I didn't create you to go this way. I created you to go this way. You're a different people. You're my people. When you give your life to me, I now own you, and I want to have you live differently so that when people pass you, they see something differently. And how do we do it? We think what? We exercise what? We fix what? And we be what? Let's say those together. Think clearly, exercise self-control, fix our hope, and be holy. And when we do, people will see it immediately. Chris Carrier was 10 years old. He lived in Florida, and one day, a man stopped him and said, I know your dad really, really well, and I want to buy your dad a special gift. Would you ever come with me and help me pick it out? Chris said, sure. Got in the man's car. The man drove out of the country, stabbed Chris in the back of the neck, and then drove off, shot him in the left temple, and threw him in the ditch in the alligator-infested area of Florida. For six days, Chris was between consciousness and unconsciousness. Six days before a motorist saw his body. By a miracle, he was still alive. By that miracle, he lived. He lost his eyesight in his left eye, but he lived. But can you imagine as a 10-year-old the emotions that come over you on that? And for three years, he lived in total fear of everyone. But then someone invited him to church. He went, and he heard about this person called Jesus Christ 
who would take it all from him. He gave his life to Christ, and Christ did take that from him. He lived his life for Christ, and years and years later, he now is married, has family, living for God. He gets a phone call and says, from a detective, says, there's a man who is now in a nursing home who's admitted to what he did to you. Would you go see him? What would be in your heart? Chris went to see him, and the old man, very broken now in body, very, very frail, first of all, didn't want to admit it, but then did admit. He said, I hated your dad, and I wanted to hurt the thing that was closest to him. He admitted and said, would you forgive me? Here's what Chris said. I did years ago. Because what Christ did for me, forgave me, I forgave you years ago. But then Chris went the next step, and the next weeks, every day, he and his family went and visited the man. Just loved on him. Until a couple weeks later, the man understood forgiveness. Not just this way, but this way. He gave his life to Jesus. Two days later, he died. See, when we choose to be different than the world, who does that? Are you kidding me? Who, who would even forgive? Are you, who does that kind of a thing? Someone who thinks clearly, who exercises self-control, who has fixed their hope, and is holy. See, people come to you and say, how can you do that? How can you forgive your spouse for what they've done to you? How do you keep going when you've, when you've lost this in your life? How do you do this? How do you handle this? How are you doing it? When we walk, people that are going this way, and we walk because we're living differently, people go, there's something different about you. And we go, yeah. Yeah, there is. It's him. So what do we do? We choose to live differently. We think what? We exercise what? We fix and we be. And when we do, God will use you and I to reach people that no one else thinks can be reached. That's our task. Heavenly Father, we simply live out the example that you gave us. You loved us before we loved you. You forgave us long before we even understood what that meant. God, you've claimed us. And God, we understand that when we give our lives to you, now we have a home in heaven, but this is in heaven. So now you've called us to live as followers of you, to live differently. God, help us to think clearly. Is that an area for you right now? Did you say, I need to start thinking clearly? God, help us to exercise self-control. Is that an area for you that you say right now there's an area in my life? I need to have more self-control. God, help us to fix our hope. Is that an area for you that right now you say, I need to dream big dreams for God, but I need to put my hope into him on that. And then God, help us to be holy. Is that an area for you that we start our day differently so that God can use us when we wake up? So God, we offer ourselves to you because you are worthy of it all. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do, and that's why we continue to worship.